morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, February 28th. High energy bills for San Diegans, high profits for Sempra. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Governor Gavin Newsom ended all but 5% of his COVID-19-related executive orders on Friday, but he's keeping the long-running state of emergency declaration in place along with the powers that come with it. California Health Secretary Dr. Mark Galley says those powers are still necessary to allow the state to respond to the uncertain future of the pandemic. When you're caught flat-footed in situations that you can anticipate, they could easily become emergencies and much more urgent because of your lack of readiness and preparedness. In the last two years, Newsom has signed 561 COVID-19-related proclamations through executive orders. Republican state lawmakers have been calling for the governor to end the state of emergency. A resolution to terminate it will get its first hearing in March. In a new milestone for biking in San Diego, there are now four and a half new miles of protected bikeways installed in the city. They're in downtown San Diego, Bankers Hill, and Hillcrest. They were officially completed on Friday. And as an added bonus, the construction that once snarled traffic on those streets is now over with. The number of San Diego County patients hospitalized with COVID-19 continues to fall, decreasing to 493 as of Saturday, down by four from Friday. That's according to the latest state data. The number of those patients in intensive care decreased by eight to a total of 83. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Donations come in many forms, a sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how. Go to kpbs.careasy.org or call 877-KPBS-CAR. While San Diegans struggle to pay their electricity bills, SDG&E's parent company has reported over a billion dollars in profit. KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne tells us people are looking for answers. Sempra, the parent company of SDG&E, released their earnings for 2021. The report showed the company made $1.25 billion in earnings. $604 million were reported during the last quarter of the year. This was just as temperatures started to drop and residents started seeing higher SDG&E bills. SDG&E has stated that a rate increase comes after a 25% jump in the cost of natural gas. The uh, 25% increase in the wholesale price of uh, gas doesn't seem to affect the executive salaries of SDG&E, who has 20 vice presidents all making six-figure incomes. And it certainly isn't hurting the... uh, the executive compensation packages for Semper Energy. And that, that just, it just enrages me. Kevin Kilpatrick, a professor at Cal State San Marcos, is suing SDG&E for price gouging and emotional distress. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands of people in San Diego County who cannot uh, afford price increases like that. And they have to make decisions about whether they're gonna pay the electric bill, or buy food, or even worse, buy medicine. Kilpatrick doesn't think he'll win, but he wants to be heard. That SDG&E is causing me and hundreds of thousands of other people 
tremendous stress. So I want that to stop. I'm doing it for everybody in San Diego. The case is scheduled for April 28th at the Hall of Justice. And Kilpatrick invites anyone angry with SDG&E's rate increase to join him. Assemblymember Tasha Borner Horvath also wants answers. In a statement, she said she is drafting a request to the Joint Legislative Audit Committee. If approved, it would task the state auditor with examining the factors and decision-making at both SDG&E and the California Public Utilities Commission that resulted in the implementation of these rates. The assembly member said she thinks San Diegans deserve to know why it costs more to power a house in San Diego than anywhere else in the country. We reached out to Sempra, the parent company of SDG&E, for comment, but did not hear back. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. On Saturday, a forum was held for the final two candidates for San Diego Unified's next superintendent. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has more. Questions came from online and in person at Wilson Middle School in Normal Heights. San Diego Unified Interim Superintendent Dr. Lamont Jackson is competing with Dr. Susan Enfield, superintendent of Highline Public Schools in Seattle. They spoke on topics including everything from special education to racial inequities and the need for teacher pay raises. When it was over, parents like Katrina Hassan had something to say. I think the biggest issue not being able to to please one side or the other, just trying to find that balance to make sure that we're educating all students. The Board of Education will now consider public input collected from the forum before making a final decision by mid-March. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. California has passed a milestone when it comes to how people get around. The one millionth zero-emission vehicle was sold last week. But as KPBS reporter John Carroll tells us, low supply means it's very difficult to buy one. State officials are singing the state's praises, touting the success of getting lots of zero-emission vehicles, or ZEVs, onto California roads. The one millionth one sold in Stockton. Governor Newsom's budget earmarks $10 billion over the next six years to get more ZEVs on the road. Leanne Rudolph of the California Air Resources Board acknowledged it's hard to buy one of them. I think we need to recognize that, um, you know, buying a car uh, is is challenging no matter what the, uh, the platform. California has more ZEVs on the road than the next 10 states combined. John Carroll, KPBS News. Coronado is out of compliance with the state affordable housing laws, but KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says a crackdown from state officials doesn't appear to be coming anytime soon. Coronado was tasked by the state with zoning for 912 new homes, both to account for future growth and to make up for the shortage of housing that exists today. But last year, the city chose to plan for just over a third of that. And they did so betting they could get away with it, at least for a while. So far, that bet is paying off. State officials can sue the city into compliance, but David Zisser of the Department of Housing and Community Development says they're not to that point yet. We are currently discussing sort of what the right time frame is. When do we 
reach out to jurisdictions. And it's it's really not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Coronado is far from alone. The vast majority of cities in Southern California have housing plans that are also out of compliance with state law. John Wizard of the nonprofit Yimby Law says many are making good faith efforts to come into compliance. But uh, certainly cities that are objectively and obviously obstructionist or obstinate should have a little bit more attention uh, than I think we've been seeing from the state. Coronado says it's working on its housing plan, but it hasn't held any meetings on the matter or given itself a deadline for achieving compliance. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. It's Girl Scout cookie season, but the pandemic has halted sales for one local troop. Instead, they're providing a different kind of service to their community. KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Ayer says it's helping young girls stay in touch with their East African culture. On Monday evenings, the nonprofit group United Women of East Africa opens their doors to the women of the future, the members of Girl Scout Troop 4307. Although they're not selling cookies right now, the troop teaches the young girls how to become the leaders of tomorrow while breaking down stereotypes and, of course, having fun. Hanan Shifra works for the women's group. Right, we'll read about women in Islam. Um, the key roles that they had, right, that they women are looked at equal to men and just kind of uplifting and empowering them just so that they know that their religion is not something that they should be ashamed of, but more something that they should be proud of. United Women of East Africa offers many other programs that cater to immigrant families. They also provide tutoring services, leadership training workshops, and girls' basketball programs. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. Coming up on the podcast, Drained Pool Politics, How Racist Politics in America Costs Everyone. KPBS speaks with an author who is part of a Black History Month lecture series from the San Diego Public Library and the University of San Diego Copley Library. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. Author Heather McGee says she started out on a mission to answer one simple question. Why can't America have nice things? Nice things like well-funded public schools in every neighborhood and truly universal guaranteed health care, child care, and affordable housing. She explores answers to that question in her book, The Sum of Us, How Racism Cost Everyone and How We Can Prosper. Heather McGee recently spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Here's that interview. You know, in your book, The Some of Us, you talk about drained pool politics. Can you explain what that is? 
When I went on this journey, I, I wanted to look at real life examples across the country. Um, and one of the first places I went was Montgomery, Alabama, where I walked the grounds of what used to be a thousand plus person lavishly funded public swimming pool. And these kinds of swimming pools used to be kind of a hallmark of American life in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, when middle-class security was really strong and it was funded by tax dollars. It was part of this sort of ethos of public goods that ensured that everyone had a decent standard of living. But as we know, the public pool in Montgomery, Alabama, and in so many other places, either by law or by custom, was segregated and for whites only. And so too were the other kinds of public goods that helped to make a middle-class life really possible and affordable. Whether it was uh, mortgages and, and virtually free no down payment housing or social security or collective bargaining, all of these public goods of that time really helped to create a big middle-class but helped to create a whites only middle-class. And what I discovered was that when the civil rights movement challenged the racial exclusivity of, of public goods like swimming pools and also of the rest of our social contract, that was really when we began to turn away from that winning formula. And in the case of the swimming pools, literally in Montgomery, Alabama, and in hundreds of other places across the country, they actually drained the water out of the pool. So that's what I mean by drain pool politics, the idea that racism and our politics and our policymaking ultimately can end up being self-sabotaging and can have a cost for everyone. Hmm. Uh, what are some examples of recent policy uh, that's guilty of drained pool politics? Well, I found examples of drained pool politics. It seemed to be sort of everywhere I looked. Uh, think about how we went in our society from going from having basically free public college, right? State schools and universities that helped really create middle class prosperity. And yet we moved away from that free college system and towards a debt for diploma system where families have to kick in for tuition and where we have all of these loans. Um, and that happened when this new anti-government sentiment really rose up in the wake of the civil rights movement uh, and integration of education. And so the, the debt system right now that we have in higher education is an example of drained pool politics. So is the fact that we sort of stand alone in this country by not having real family policy like universal child care and that we stand alone by not having uh, really universal guaranteed health care. Uh, white Americans are the largest group of the uninsured, and yet because of racial resentment against the first black president and deeper racial resentment against the idea of collective action against government, against public solutions, white folks have been, uh, the majority, have been disapproving of of Obamacare ever since it was enacted, and even though they, they benefit uh, largely. You know, I mean, since the 30s, 40s and 50s, how much progress do you think the country has made in terms of moving away from these zero sum policies? You know, this this phenomenon of the zero sum, right, the idea that people believe that progress for people of color has to come at white folks expense, that a dollar more in my pocket must mean a dollar less in yours. That idea um, has really been throughout our history sold to most Americans by a narrow self-interested elite. I'm really interested in the question of who's selling these racist ideas for their own profit more than holding accountable the people who are desperate enough to buy them. And so I think right now we are seeing a resurgence of that zero-sum story of a, 
um, of, you know, paid bullies in the corporate media, you know, selling this idea that demographic change is going to mean the loss of the American way of life, blaming immigrants and people of color and racial justice advocates uh, for what is ultimately, you know, a set of, of policies and decisions uh, that have redistributed wealth upwards, people governing on tax cuts for the wealthy and yet running their campaigns on culture war politics. That's really the same phenomenon that we have seen during other moments of, of acute demographic change. I mean, like here in California, um, the cost of living, you know, meaning just basic necessities um, are skyrocketing, which yeah. widens the, the wealth gap. It, it puts equity further in the distance. Um, what policies do you think would fix some of these issues? Ultimately, the solution to these big problems where each individual trying to pay on their own has not made the math add up is for us to start pooling the costs, right? For us to really actually refill the pool of public goods and say, you know what? There's a bill in Washington that is languishing on the vine that would cap, for example, the amount that families pay for childcare at 7% of their income because it would you know, inject public funding into the system and make millions of new um, high-wage, uh, well-trained childcare jobs and elder care jobs. That's the kind of solution that we need. We have a major supply problem in housing. We need to build more housing. And yes, dare I say, low um, low income, affordable, working class public housing. That is, you know, really a gold standard for the world. We can do that. We can afford to do it and we can afford it publicly and we simply can't afford to do it privately anymore. The math just isn't adding up. And what do you hope people and policymakers walk away with when they read your book? I hope that policymakers um, and people walk away with um, a sense that there's a real um, mutual interest in addressing racial injustice. That racism costs our economy over a trillion dollars a year uh, in lost GDP growth. That the kinds of solutions that we need to enact in order to address the vestiges of explicit racism in our laws and our policies is not a zero sum. That's what I hope people take away. And that was author Heather McGee speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. McGee will be discussing her book virtually for the Black History Month lecture series held by the San Diego Public Library and the University of San Diego Copley Library. It'll be tonight from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.